This episode is brought to you in part by Wholehearted Love, a new book by Caleb and Stephanie Rouse. Overcome the barriers that hold you back in your relationships with God and with others and delight in feeling safe, seen, and loved with Wholehearted Love. For more information, go to Tyndale.com. Hi, I'm Ashley Hales, host of the Finding Holy podcast. Here at the Finding Holy podcast, it's our aim to help you connect the dots between the things that matter and your everyday holy life. You're probably running around now. There's errands and jobs and to-do lists and kids and oh so much laundry. So you listen to podcasts to laugh, to learn, and to sometimes get a little nugget of truth to take into your day. But it's easy often to create boxes for things, a box for chores, a box for my marriage or friendships, a box for parenting and work, and a big box for the things of Jesus on Sunday. We want to live wholehearted, meaningful, rich lives, and yet we feel fragmented. That's why here at the Finding Holy Podcast, we help bring you great conversations with authors, pastors, artists, and activists to hear how they connect the big things of life into the ordinary habits of their days. So we don't have to live a life of boxes, but can live a spacious life, whole, integrated, and focused on the meaningful way of Jesus. So you'll get to hear their laundry routines because big things matter, but so does the laundry. Also, a few times a year here at the Finding Holy Podcast, we do something special, a series around a topic, or even like we're doing right now for the month of January with our Suburban Boot Camp. Suburban Boot Camp is where I sit down with my husband, Bryce Hales, who's the pastor of Resurrection OC, our church plant in Orange County, California, and we talk about how secularism has colored all that we do in the West. Be sure to listen to episode 32, where we talk about secularism in the suburbs, and episode 33, where we chatted about one small practice of resilient discipleship. We want to make these series super practical for you, your church, and your community, So to make these conversations actionable, we give you one small step at the end of each episode to practice a wholehearted way to live. Spiritual formation is such a long process, it's slow, but we also need some small, practical, little baby steps to start. So listen in, at the end you'll get your one small step to take with you into your everyday holy life. Here's my conversation with Bryce. Well, I am here with my husband, Bryce Hales. We're hanging out, drinking our coffee, and talking about suburban secularism while our children are at school. So welcome back. Good to be here. Thanks. (laughs) Yeah. So let's just revisit, for those who might be just joining the podcast now, what do we mean by secularism, and why are we talking about it in relation to suburban life? Yeah, so... One of the things, kind of the aha moments I've had as a pastor just over the last several months, um, there's a lot of talk about how the world we're living in, the culture that we're living in is, is shifting and um, everybody's got their different theories about what exactly is changing and right. what the impact of that is. Everybody keeps saying the word secularism. And so what is secularism and how is it affecting our culture and especially for uh, Christians, how is it affecting our faith? and a life in the church. And um, secularism, I like to uh, define secularism as the belief that life can be great without God. Mm -hmm. Um, Some other people have said secularism is like 
uh, wanting the kingdom without the king, that uh, so much of the, the just wonder of life in 2020 has come uh, through generations and generations of not just Christians, but in many parts of the world, in many places, Christians have contributed to the good of society. But now we're kind of at this point where we don't need God in our life mm-hmm. to live a beautiful, wonderful life. Right. And so um, often we think of secularism as a very progressive movement. And you think of, uh, you know, urban like very cities. very anti-God. Yeah, like anti-God. Yeah, we're, we're just, uh, we're, we're tearing everything down. We don't really know if anything's true anymore. And it's often associated with um, kind of progressive urban cities. Mm-hmm. And so the big aha moment, um, you know, we're planting a church in a suburban context in Southern California that doesn't, you know, share a lot of those urban progressive values, although obviously some people do, but as a whole, um, that's not what our context looks like. And yet, um, there is this total secular impulse here. And so I've kind of been awoken up to the uh, secularism of the right. So if the secularism of the left is kind of dominated by um, progressive social values. Um, in many cases, the secularism on the on the right is driven by uh, sort of this desire to live a comfortable, beautiful, meaningful life. Um, but we don't need God at the center of that. Mm-hmm. And so, um, in in a lot of places, that looks like you know, youth sports has become the new. Uh, religious activity that mm-hmm. is driving family lives, mm-hmm. um, or even just the number of people that we've interacted with in the context of planting this church who have sort of said something like, the reason that we're not coming to your church anymore is because it's, you know, w- we have to put the needs of our kids first. Right. And you kind of go like, <laughs> wait, hold on, like, your children need Jesus. Right. <laughs> and um, if you're saying you're going to prioritize their sports and their, you know, math tutoring and all this kind of stuff over life in the body of Christ that has nourished the faith of God's people for thousands of years. Uh, It's just hard to get your mind around how you could actually say with a straight face, it's good for the kids. It's the reason that we're not coming back to church. Right, right, yeah. As a shorthand, as we're talking about this, the secularism of the left tends to be kind of more activist and outward focused where the secularism of the right tends to be kind of a little bit more reactionary. Like, I'm going to keep me and mine safe. You know, safety becomes kind of an idol, you know, of the nuclear family. Right, or, right. you know, um, that it becomes much more individualistic. Yeah, it definitely comes... Uh, That's how it looks. It definitely looks a lot more like um, protecting my family. So, yeah. I mean, I've had conversations with people just around those those ideas. Well, we had to make a decision for the good of our family. And part of me wants to pull up, you know, what did, what did um, Jesus say when his, his mom and his sisters came and they're like, Jesus, everybody thinks you're going crazy. Like, what are you doing? Right. Um, and the crowds are saying your, your mother and your, and your brothers uh, and sisters are here and they want to know what's going on. And Jesus says, you know, these people are my, my right. family. Whoever does the will of the Father, that's my family, exactly. my mother and my brothers and exactly. sisters. Yep. Yeah, so as we kind of, you know, that's in the background as we're having this conversation. We talked last week about resilience um, and what we can do kind of personally to 
put all of these things into practice. We talked before then just about this narrative of secularism. So make sure you go ahead and listen to those previous episodes. But this week on our last Suburban Boot Camp, we're going to really talk about what do we do as a community? Do you know, to push back against some of that individualism, some of that kind of my nuclear family is my highest good. And again, we don't think that you know, we 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 put good boundaries right on our own time and we intentionally focus on our children. We want them to be discipled and loved. We want them to follow their dreams and all of these sorts of things. And yet that can't be our highest good. And so we're going to talk about community practices this week. But before we get into that one small step, that practical way forward that we'll bring to you at the end, I think we need to take yet another step back and talk about this idea of identity and identity formation. I think for most of us in the West, the idea of the self as like the reigning center of the universe is pretty, we kind of take that for granted. We've become exceptionally individualistic. For, for those of us, when we put ourselves in the center, we remove God from the center. And when God's not in the center of our lives and our practices, our habits, our affections, our loves, our desires, we put ourselves there. And so we have to create an identity. And I think we see a lot of this sort of identity formation everywhere we turn. Yeah, absolutely. And so part of living this, I love this word resilient and being a resilient disciple because um, David Kinnaman in his book, Faith for Exiles, um, defines resilience as realism plus hope. Mm -hmm. And so uh, so I think so much of the the kind of that, again, that secularism of the right mindset is let's protect ourselves from harm. Um, and of course, we're not advocating like putting your children in the way of harm or anything like that. We're just saying life is life. Right. You're going to you, get chewed up and spit out You can't somehow. avoid um, all negative things. Right. <laughs> and so resilience is the ability to bounce back. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of the central uh, kind of factors in living a life of uh, resilience following Jesus in a culture that doesn't share your beliefs um, is forming a gospel identity. Right. And so a gospel identity is, um, it looks like this, meaning, living a meaningful life equals community plus freedom. Okay. So tell us about this gospel identity. What does that look like? Yeah. So gospel identity is what does it really look like to live a meaningful life uh, following Jesus and flourishing in light of who he is and the kingdom that he's bringing? And so the equation that I like to think about is that a meaningful life equals freedom plus community. Now, um, if you live in certain places in the world today, uh, you need more freedom. If you live in North Korea, you need more freedom. Uh, If you were born in outer Mongolia in, uh, I don't know, 800 AD, you need more freedom because... Um, you know, you have very limited resources, <laughs> right. you have very limited options, mm-hmm. um, you are going to essentially do what your family did, and that's, uh, that's who you are. But we now live in a very different time and place where we prize freedom as the most uh, important thing in the world, and we define freedom as the freedom to do whatever we want. Mm-hmm. And um, the result of that is that we are living in this world where we have infinite choice, Mm-hmm. the freedom to choose so many things um, and it's actually becoming uh, paralyzing. So this is kind of a funny story, but uh, over Thanksgiving we went on vacation with your your parents yeah. and 
um, one evening, your dad and I went to the grocery store to get um, uh, stuff to make pasta. And it was, it was super crowded, it was super packed. And we go down the aisle with a pasta sauce aisle. And uh, do you know how many types of pasta sauce they sell at the average grocery store? I don't know, uh, like 800? <laughs> I mean, it's ridiculous. And we just stood there, like two grown men, you know, uh, several degrees between us, right. clearly capable, intelligent-ish people. And we, we couldn't make a choice. Right. You know, do we, do we want like... Uh, uh, mushrooms or no mushrooms? Do we want Newman's organic own or do we want pre, pre, ragu or you know right. all of these things? Yeah. And there's just so many choices. That, and I'm like, I know whatever we pick, it's going to be the wrong thing, and we're going to get home, and our wives are going to look at us and be like, Why'd you get this? Right? And You're like, like, There were 800 million ones. There were too yeah. many choices. It's actually called mm. like choice overload. Sociologists call it or yeah, choice overload, or fatigue. I think yeah. It, yeah, decision fatigue. And so we are now living in this place where because we have so much freedom, we actually have very little community. Mm. And uh, I remember one of the first times this hit me again. It's funny. This was a Thanksgiving story, too. But many, many, many years ago, um, this is when we were living in Scotland and we were hosting Thanksgiving dinner. Right. And um, because we were in the United Kingdom, Thanksgiving was just Thursday. You know, it wasn't this national holiday <laughs> right. like yeah. it is. Uh, in the United States, and we had a kind of this community of uh, North American expatriate friends. Most of us were grad students, and we were hosting this big Thanksgiving, and we'd spent, of course, the hours and hours preparing, and we get a text, you know, 15 minutes before we're going to eat that these friends are not coming. And we're just thinking, like, who cancels on Thanksgiving at the last second? But what, what part of what um, there's there's actually research that's been done that text messaging allows people to feel uh, the freedom to cancel yeah. much more frequently than it, even if you had to pick up the phone, call somebody and say, I'm sorry, I know you've already spent all this money and prepared all this food, <laughs> but I'm actually not coming. Right. Um, you're much more likely to actually show there's up. There's less shame involved right. in the text message. And so, <laughs> and so what I'm getting at is because we have so much freedom, we actually, um, we have the freedom to bail on people constantly. Mm -hmm. And so we have very little community. Mm -hmm. And it, it's hard for a lot of us to, if you say, I mean, you know, we're parents we have four small children what do you mean I don't have community like people are around me all the time and yet um, a lot of those things that we think of as community voices on social media are sort of very loose connections mm -hmm. where um, they're it's very easy to, to, to just break those ties and so uh, we're experiencing sort of disembodied voices we, right. we are noise. surrounded by people all the time there's a lot of noise there's a lot of activity but there isn't a lot of depth of relationship. And so these studies keep coming out that say that especially men, um, but women too, but especially middle-aged men, um, loneliness is becoming a health risk for middle-aged men. It's more, um, it's a greater health risk than smoking and obesity. Mm -hmm. And so the, the, the challenge to the modern identity then is how, how do we live a meaningful life uh, when, when we have this life of full freedom, but very little community. If we follow kind of the cultural story, right, that says like, you know, you do you, go out and find your truth and, you know, whatever makes you happy, pursue it, you know, within some sort of reason, we believe, then go ahead and do that. And that, but that version of identity formation ultimately leaves us lonely.
Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So I think we can talk about the idea that we tend to think of it's either community or identity, right? It's either I either give myself fully to my community or I am true to myself. And right. That's, and, but we're talking about something different when we're talking about gospel. Right, identity. yeah, so we're not kind of we're not kind of advocating the life of like, let's go back to living in a more traditional time and culture where you uh, essentially grow up and you do whatever your parents did and you have very little freedom of choice. Right. Um, we're talking about uh, gospel identity is a meaning, a meaningful life equals freedom plus community. And so... Um, so you don't have to choose, right? Because I think <clears throat> most of these other stories tell us you have to choose. You have to choose either being true to yourself or being loyal to a community. Or if you're loyal to a community, that you can't actually be self-actualized. Right. So actually, it's a much more complicated and nuanced kind of way to live because... In a more traditional culture, I mean, uh, think about the uh, example of, a, let's say, a young woman in her mid-20s, and uh, she has um, the opportunity for a, a, a big career move that would take her across the country, but she's involved in a relationship that would keep her in the same place. Mm-hmm. You know, she has this decision she has to make. What does she choose? Well, in a traditional culture, it's a simple answer. You you take the You take the relationship, right? Because... For a, uh, you don't you know, have any agency otherwise, right? Yeah. Right, yeah. right, because that's who you are. Um, but what do you do now? Well, now the culture would say, don't you dare choose that guy. Right. right? You better take this opportunity uh, and you better advance your career. Well, what, is the, what does the gospel identity say? It, it's actually a much more uh, nuanced answer. I mean, uh, if somebody were to ask me that as a pastor, I would say, I don't know, let's sit down and talk about it because, yeah. um, you know, who is this guy and, and what is his? what are his faith commitments and... And uh, what is this job? And is this, you know, how does this advance the kingdom? And what are your prospects for another uh, jo- uh, job in the same career path without moving? And what's the impact on kind of your involvement in the work of the kingdom in the place where you are now if you up and leave? Mm-hmm. And so it's a much more complicated. There isn't just a little nuanced. nice, tidy answer yeah, for a gospel right. identity. Right, which I think is really beautiful. Uh, you're not... Uh, you're not living this life where the culture says that this is what you do. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And let me just say, I think for those of us, I, I know for me personally, this idea of like, yes, go be all that you can be was kind of in the water, even in the church, right? That, you know, you're supposed to do big things for God and go to Africa or like yeah. be in full-time ministry and all of these things are how you make a difference in the world. And, you know, part of that's just like youthful idealism. You know, part so part of that really that idealism is charming and lovely and a part of growing up, you know, into maturity as adults. But I think yeah. I think we just need to reckon with what does it look like? How do we actually create a gospel identity on the ground? Because I think this narrative of be all you can be and like look inside yourself is still has a Christian wrapping paper on it in a lot of places. Yeah, yeah. And I think the thing, the challenge that uh, as Christians, we have to get our heads around too. Is that um, we we tend to think that we tend to believe we can think our way out of this. Yeah. So maybe you're listening to this right now, and you're like, "Oh gosh, that's uh, that is how I'm living my life." And so now that I've heard this, now I'm going to do something different. Yeah. And it's sort of like you know, how do we teach our kids to ride a bike? Like I sit my four year old down, I give him a manual <laughs> that shows him he reads the manual. This is how a bike works. Now you know how to read, ride a bike, right? Right. No, of course not. You uh, you learn how to ride a bike by riding a bike. Right. And so you put your kid on a bike and you you run behind him and you kind of ease them into it. But you learn to ride a bike through the experience of riding a bike. 
And, um, and this is so, so important. The, the uh, gospel identity is really shaped um, not only by the content that we learn or listening to podcasts or reading books or even hearing sermons, although those are all great things, um, gospel identity is shaped by what is the story that we believe, mm-hmm. uh, what are the things that we give our attention to, yeah. and what is the community that we identify mm, with. That's so good. Um, so wait, tell us, what are those three things again? Yeah, so what story do we believe, um, what is getting our attention, and what community um, are we doing life with? So story, attention, and community. Like That's how actually thick identities are formed. I think that's hugely helpful and it also lets us off the hook to say like oh shoot I you know somehow haven't got this all figured out in my head and there you know and we kind of live under this burden of shame or fear that we're doing it wrong or we're thinking things wrong but to say actually the Christian life is a very embodied process along with people where we repent where we you know keep trying right the kid on the bike they fall off they scrape their knee but what what they have a father or mother right who's they're walking them through it again and again and again. Right. But there's also, I mean, going back to the bike analogy, there's kind of this story that's being told of like, this is what childhood is like, and this is what it looks like to have fun and play with your friends and get to explore as you're growing. Mm -hmm. And and so that's why you, why do you um, stick with learning how to ride a bike when you just crash a lot at first? It's because this is how you are going to have fun and have Mm. an adventure. I love that. Because right. I think, you know, even with our middle schooler, I'm like, your bike, you know, he got a flat tire the other day. And I'm like, no, your bike is your means of transport to middle school, <laughs> which is such an adult right way of thinking about yeah, but it. But even that's part of the story, too. Right. I mean, that, yeah. that's 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 great. But um, I, I think as Christians, we have this idea that we kind of have these beliefs about Jesus in our head. But often we have the culture story yes. in our bones. Mm. And um, or sometimes we have this idea that because I believe in Jesus I just kind of have to hunker down and do the right thing. Mm -hmm. And I think that the story of the scriptures are inviting us into a life uh, of adventure. You know, God is building his kingdom and he's doing it through us and he is faithful and is good. I mean, we have moved so many times and it feels like every time we move, um, it's like the... uh, the Hales Moving Ministry Circus, you know, <laughs> coming into its next stop. Yeah. And, but there's also sometimes this idea that the next stop on the itinerary is the place where we will finally mm-hmm. arrive and mm-hmm. everything will just kind of instantly feel comfortable and easy. And I, I think that we live with a lot of disappointment just personally because of that. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. But, but isn't that, like, God has been so faithful to he us. Has. And this has been such an adventure that he has taken us on uh, as a family mm-hmm. And that is... That's the thing. That's the story. And if we're telling ourselves, this is the story, God is working in our lives in these ways, and we are part of this kind of thousands-year-long history of God building his people, like, that's really exciting. And that begins to shape our identity, and our our kids begin to pick up on that, too. And it forms uh, who they are. So that's story, but attention is huge, too. Yeah, yeah. Man, I, I hate to kind of do this, but, you know, what gets our attention? It, the, you know, the technology, the phone, the mm-hmm. social media scroll. Um, I found this uh, statistic. Oh, I think um, I remember you telling me it, that people check their phones like 80 yeah. times a so, day. So listen to this. Americans check their phones on average once every 12 minutes, burying their heads in their phones 80 times a day. Um, so, 
you know, when you think about how are you going to give your attention to uh, scripture or prayer or, uh, gosh, I just don't have time for that. Well, we're finding uh, small bursts of time Mm -hmm. to uh, kind of reinforce the culture's narrative every time we look at our phones. Is there a way for us to shift some of that attention that we're giving to technology back to scripture, back to prayer, back to the story of what God's doing in the world? I actually heard Tim Keller say this, but if if you want to be more shaped by the by the gospel identity than by the identity of our culture, then you are going to have to counteract the time that you're spending hmm. scrolling social media with something. Right. Right. Super good. Yeah. How about community? Yeah. So community, I mean, it's just a question of who are you doing life with and uh, obviously, we all know that our families shape so much of who we are as people. Um, but increasingly, many of us are just doing life alone, where there are these voices all around us, and yet um, we we are increasingly isolated. And so we're really doing life in our own heads, and we're making decisions individualistically. Mm-hmm. And this is part of the reason why, um, you know, we're on a podcast. Podcasts are great, but podcasts don't um, can't do the work of of community and it's isn't it fascinating that all the way back in the new testament the, the writer of the hebrews had to say hebrews ten twenty five, let's not give up meeting together as has become the habit of some people mm-hmm. and um, i mean sometimes as a pastor uh, i feel like when we're we're uh, we're promoting an event or we're saying hey join this uh join this community group or come to this uh night of prayer next week or something like that i feel like uh, people will ask the question well what are we actually going to like, do I need this content? What What are you talking <laughs> yeah, about here? Right. Or like, I already I already know this, so that's why I didn't show up. Right. And I and I feel like the pushback is to say, you know, this might not be as much about the content for you, but this is about be experiencing this together with God's people. And the reality is that the things that we give our time to, the people that we do life with, are going to begin to shape who we are as mm-hmm, people. Mm-hmm. And so. Um, Sometimes uh, showing up at church, like the con- you need to hear the gospel. You, even if you know the gospel, you need to hear the gospel week in and week out. Um, it continues to shape us. But sometimes it's not just about the content. Uh, we were at a conference a while ago, and I was we were listening to a speaker talk about just the importance of church unity, and it, it was really uh, it was really inspiring. But he was talking about working together, kind of in an overseas context, with. Uh, other organizations that um, they have theological differences with. Right. And, and, he, and not major theological differences, but not small ones either. Some kind of mid-level important differences. And just the, the sense of unity of saying, we are going to hold our differences, but we're going to continue to work together. And we were talking with the people from our church who were there, and it was really inspiring. Um, but, but, you know, part of me felt like it's one thing to talk about the unity of the church uh, when we're talking about like three weeks a year overseas yeah. in a very foreign context, <laughs> what's the application to us? And the, I feel like the application to us is, hey, the, the church that you're thinking about maybe leaving right now, you need to stick it out um, because there's never going to be a perfect church. And it's through the struggles and the, hey, this offended me. I'm sorry. Will you forgive me? Or I did not really understand Learning how to, instead of just right. blasting people over text message and then leaving, yeah. <laughs> we actually do life mm-hmm. together yeah. that our identities are shaped and we are led 
to uh, the cross and do a life of flourishing in light of who Jesus is. I think that's great. And, you know, it's not just about choosing to bail or not bail on your church community um, or to leave. And, you know, granted, there are reasons to do so. Um, but it is saying, okay, I want to have conversations. I want to listen and learn, you know, so when the election season's coming up, instead of blasting, oh, <laughs> instead of blasting someone who's going to vote differently, we're actually going to love each other as brothers and sisters in Christ and talk about it. Right. I mean, yep, if yep. we can't, ta- if we can't learn how to be the body of Christ across difference, whether it's politics or socioeconomics or race or gender, then we don't really show this love that is supposed to actually transform the world that Jesus came for. Exactly. Hey, so uh, are you going to ask me about my laundry routine? I am going to ask you about your laundry routine. And yeah, because I I love asking everyone their laundry routine because it makes people human and because (laughs) we have to also like connect these dots between all these ideas and secularism, but we also do the laundry. So Bryce, what's your laundry routine? Oh man, so... I feel Which like I kind of know it, but I know. feel like my laundry routine sort of reflects um, who I am as a person, which is that <laughs> like I have very high ideals and mediocre execution. <laughs> and so, uh, as you know, many, many years ago, yeah, uh, I started doing our laundry. So you do our kids' laundry, yep. but I do our laundry. And I think uh, the reason that began is because I was just getting frustrated with how you folded my laundry. Yep. And um, I'm just very particular about how I wanted my stuff folded. Okay. And so, <laughs> so instead of having fights about it, he just took it over. Yeah, so I started doing the laundry. But um, the reality is that I only get the laundry folded uh, maybe 40% of the time. I mean, it's, it's, it's probably less than half of the time. And so I'll do the laundry you know, pretty much weekly, um, but often it just ends up staying in the laundry basket and we're pulling stuff out of there and uh i just do you feel like the laundry has like kind of images like your internal state like you feel like you can't ever get on top of yeah things. that's what i'm saying where it's See, like that's why laundry's important. i have these i have these ideals and i have a perfect plan for how it should be executed but i very rarely execute the plan perfectly because you're human because i'm human and because i just don't have enough time to do at least that's what I tell You're so myself. busy and important. <laughs> <laughs> but we're choosing exactly. to be a part of Thick Community. So thanks for being here. Suburban Boot Camp has been awesome. And I want to just tell our listeners there are some more resources for you at aahales.com slash four churches. I'll tell you more about that in just a second. Thank you. Bye. I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Bryce. There is so much rich information. And just a reminder, of course, we know that all the information in the world can't actually change us. We need a transformation of our very hearts and souls in our depths from the power of the Holy Spirit. And yet we also know that we can enact small steps to help kind of prime the soil for the Spirit of God to work. So I'm going to leave you with one small step, and it's this. Choose to commit to your community. For Christians, that's the local church. And so whether you go every week begrudgingly, whether you know you go when it's convenient or you feel like you're in a season where church attendance has been a long time since you've gone, 
I'd encourage you, maybe now until Easter, say, no matter what, as much as it depends on me, I will show up for these people. That means you're going to have to probably deal with lots of other things. You're going to have to rearrange your schedule. Um, but showing up for a community so that you guys can actually know each other is absolutely invaluable to counteracting the lie that says you're only as good as what you do, you're only as good as what you accomplish, you're only as good and loved and seen and valued for what you bring to the table and what you know. So commit to your community. And secondly, if church attendance is something that is pretty easy for you, then I would also invite you into volunteering with your church community, whether that's with an outreach program or it's passing out bulletins on a Sunday, whether it's choosing to say, hey, I'm going to stick around after the service and get to know people as a way to embody the love of Christ, or you're setting up chairs or bringing meals to people. Find a way to give back because we have to be involved in the thick crosshairs of community and not simply see our church communities as another consumer good that we can move in and out of freely without actually being known, loved, or valued. So thanks for listening. Be sure to subscribe so you can get each episode right when it comes out. We'd be honored if you shared an episode that you love with a friend. And I wanted to let you know about a few free resources. If you head on over to my website at aahales.com slash four churches, that's F-O-R churches, all one word, there are some specific ways that we can collaborate with you. You can get some small group material that goes along with my book, Finding Holy in the Suburbs, or we could even talk about running a suburban boot camp workshop with your church staff or small group. So head on over to aahales.com slash four churches, and we would love to see how we can partner with you to create good, thick communities of resilient disciples. Because big things matter, but so does the laundry. This episode was brought to you in part by Just These Guys, you know? A pastor and a psychologist team up to break down scripture and psychology, empowering you to transform by the renewing of your mind. Listen today at justtheseguys.podbean.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Just These Guys, you know?